Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Welcome to the Raw Review. I'm Adam Wilborn from What Culture, joined by one of the Dudley Boys, Michael Sidgwick from What Culture to review everything that happened on last night's episode of Monday Night Raw. But before we get into it, if you're a fan of this sort of thing, make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on either iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Where we're not going to review Raw and SmackDown, but also NXT, AEW Dynamite, pay per views. We have interviews, roundtable discussions, and a roundup of the week complete with a bloody good quiz, of course on WrestleCulture. As I said, though, joined by Michael Cedric. Michael Hamplett will be back this afternoon to help us preview NXT, just sorting out some family things. Nothing serious, thankfully. Uh, but let's talk about Monday Night Raw, Michael Cedric, the final one of the Thunderdome era. What did you reckon? Uh, it's just cold, isn't it? It's just <laughs> absolutely cold. Like, whether you have fundamental macro problems with the show, which I do, and I won't labour on today... It just, my immediate impression was this is not getting a rating at all. It wasn't entirely irredeemably bad. Um, There's some curious developments in an otherwise pretty great um, WWE title match build. And there was some quality sprinkled across that. Mm. But otherwise, Jesus Christ, they're going to struggle in front of crowds unless they've got something up their sleeves here. And they've got something up their sleeves. Various returns. Yes, exactly. And that's pretty much it, which the novelty of which will wear off. But yeah, man, as for this show, I can't remember this company feeling as small, irrelevant, cold Mm. since 1995. uh, Mixed emotions on this show. I think had this show gone down, let's say six weeks ago or something, I would have sort of just shrugged and said, oh, Bloody dreadful show. Do you know what? I, the only thing I can compare this to is like having a maths lesson or something on the last day of term. Because I think the fact that I knew this is the last time where there's going to be no fans are in the Thunderdome, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, in my head, I've convinced myself they're going to try next week. It'll get good again immediately. So, like, I sort of, you know, the 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 things that I didn't enjoy, I, it just sort of washed over me. Elements of it I did really quite like. Like, I... The, the 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 shocking upset I didn't see coming and uh, and it, it yeah I, I like the way that they've you know t- brought that into the storyline and and that false count anywhere match was 
was just bonkers. So I really enjoyed that. And then the other stuff, I just thought, well, it'll be over soon. <laughs> so I sort of let it wash over me, if I'm perfectly honest. But let's dive straight into it. In fact, actually, let's before we, we talk about Monday Night Raw, let's uh, give a quick nod to uh, the, the late Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff. Uh, they gave a nod to him at the opening of the show. What a legend, uh, Michael Sidgwick. Yeah, absolutely. And not enough people, I don't think. And I'm not trying to bollock people. It's just kind of uh, a curious, I don't know. It's a curious way that it's been his like incredible legacy in terms of building WWE, as people know it today, has kind of been overlooked. And um, he did absolute monster business with Hogan in 86. He was a fundamental part of the inaugural WrestleMania. Um, great athlete, like great patter. Everyone's seen the bicep kissing um, gif everyone else is waving their hands and he finds a way to get over like within seconds and it's um, been preserved as this pop worthy gif like all of those years later like a much better worker than the usual Hogan opponent like by some distance um, later in his career um, worked a fabulous brawl with crack, uh, Cactus Jack in 1993 so great worker great draw and I just think that because people can only remember and preserve so much in their own memories and everyone's collective memory informs history and legacies and all the rest of it. What I think happened with Orndorff, right, is that everyone remembers or has watched if they didn't remember or weren't old enough to watch it at the time, WrestleMania 1. It's like a fundamental document in pro wrestling. Most wrestling fans of our age, at least, have gone back and watched it. And then because of the nature of history, the timeline in terms of WWE's big history seems to jump. I know WrestleMania 2 in 1986 wasn't, it was a bit of a disaster. Let's just uh, not remember that and jump straight to 87 when we did the biggest show ever. And, you know, the big event came pretty down close to beating that attendance in 1986. But for whatever reason, through the prism of WWE's history, it's kind of been glossed over. Um, and Dick Ebersole's production just became so powerful and vibrant and colourful deeper in the dec decade that those early NBC um, specials and those just early WWF events in general just don't quite have the same glamour in retrospect. You wouldn't really parade them on any highlight reels. Um, so deeper into the 80s, even though the WWF wasn't doing quite as great business, um, at least in terms of these gigantic houses, um, still obviously a massive golden period. People are just more likely to remember like the 87, 89 period. That's more synonymous with the golden age of WWF. But in fact, Orndorff's 86 did monster business. He did huge, huge gates um, with Hogan. And I just think hopefully in his tragic passing, um, that narrative is altered somewhat to remember that Paul Orndorff um, was just fundamental in constructing this uh, modern era of professional wrestling. Yeah, uh, awful news uh, to see to see last night. And like you say, great to see the tributes though across social media. Uh, naturally, uh, all of us here at What Culture extend our condolences, um, thoughts and prayers to uh, the friends and family of Paul Orndorff. And uh, if you want to support the Orndorff family, I believe there is a GoFundMe uh, fundraising to, to, to help with uh, funeral expenses. The link for that, if you want to go and check it out, uh, is on the news piece uh, regarding uh, Paul Orndorff's passing. Uh, 
up at whatculture.com. So please, if you can uh, donate and you want to support support that, please go and do that at whatculture.com. But a lovely nod uh, at the start of the show. Obviously, what with it being pre-taped, that was all they really could do. Maybe we'll get a little bit more on SmackDown this week. But let's dive straight into Monday Night Raw because it opened uh, with Xavier Woods versus Bobby Lashley. Did not see this opening the show, but as it informed the story of the show, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, the story being uh, Bobby Lashley could have beaten Xavier Woods at almost any time during this match. Uh, you know, Woods does get in some offense. Obviously, he's bloody Xavier Woods. He's mint. Uh, but Lashley batters him. At one point, he just press slammed him to the outside. Uh, Woods fights back eventually, hits a super kick, hits a DDT, hits a flip dive, a missile drop kick, but he only really gets a one and a half. If he's lucky, he gets just a two count off the back of that. Puts Lashley in the crossface. Lashley just gets out of it, just powers out of it effectively. Spinebuster, the Dominator, or his version of the Dominator, I suppose. Um, Lashley takes Woods to the outside, throws him into the post, gets him back in, hits a spear. Look, he's got the match won. But as he is showboating, Woods catches him in a small package. One, two, three. We moan about the surprise roll-up, the small package. But in this instance, Michael Sidgwick, it makes sense. And the commentator sold it of, of, you know, the sort of Rocky three. Oh, maybe he has taken his eye off the ball and he could really be in trouble against Kofi on Sunday for the WWE Championship. And Kofi sold the uh, the huge upset as, as it was. I really like this to open the show. It was bizarre. And I think the reasoning behind it is even more bizarre. Like, truly. It was reported deep into yesterday evening, UK time at least, um, by PW Insider, that WWE is um, ahead of its return to the road, um, which will incur expenses. Um, Travelling shows always do. Um, it was reported by PW Insider, very reputable, um, that WWE is cutting back on extras. So this was, in effect, I think, a write-off for Lashley's ladies. <laughs> Could you not have just ignored them as you do so much like actually crucial narrative developments next week without beating your champion? <laughs> I honestly think there's a link between this show-long angle and the idea that, all right, okay, well, we can't use them going forward because we're looking after our expenses. So what we'll do is we'll beat the champion and that will force the champion to look inwardly and think, right, okay, I'm scrapping all of this hubris because it's making me look unfocused. Maybe I'm jumping to conclusions and trying to link those two things together, but I did find that they were related somehow. I'm a traditionalist. I would not beat your WWE champion on the eve of the show but it's one of those warped WWE things where it's like, well, if you look at it from their perspective, they've added a layer of drama to the match because the idea is, and, you know, they've cannibalized this so much over the years. Oh, Christ, the champion just got beat. That means he might get beat again. Well, yeah, it also means he doesn't come off like a champion at all. Mm. Mercifully, with Lashley, his show-closing promo was excellent, and more to the point, as much as this is just a complete menace of a trope, they've otherwise preserved them as this like genuinely hard ass kicking guy. Um, he's not been quite so dominant um, in recent months compared to when he first won the title. Like he relied on MVC, MVP's help to beat Drew. He's now losing matches. He doesn't really feel like the almighty. This was a continuation of that 
not how I would have built the match at all, if I'm being perfectly honest. But again, like I just don't like seeing champions getting beat. Unless, before some dickhead say something, they've been unbeaten for virtually a year. Yeah, I, um, I think we've spoken about this before, including with, with the Hamlet regarding the fact that on Sunday, we all really assumed that the champions, or at least that the world champions in terms of uh, Bobby Lashley and Ro- not even talking about Bliss. What are you doing? Sorry about that. A slight interruption there. I'll unplug her in a second. Um, <laughs> when it comes to Roman Reigns and, and Bobby Lashley, we all assume that they are leaving with the title. So you need to sow some doubt in there and a, and a surprise small package or whatever it may be from Kofi now does have that little bit of edge. And I and I um, I get it. Like, it's not like Lashley hasn't lost uh, or hasn't looked like losing. But I, I don't know. I just... Maybe it's just because I've longed for a Rocky three storyline since. So I don't know. Shayna Baszler versus Becky Lynch at WrestleMania. So I appreciated it because uh, we go backstage and Kevin Patrick uh, grabs MVP and says, is it right that Lashley's left the building and MVP tries to bob him off and say, it's fine. It's still good. He said, it's not a big deal. He's just blown off some steam. He'll be back for the VIP lounge later on tonight. And then Michael Sidgwick, we see Jinder Mahal arriving on his big red motorbike. I wonder what that could be related to. And uh, he was handed Drew McIntyre's sword by Shanky and Beer. They're genders heavies. And uh, yeah, well, we'll get to that in due course because we have to go to Alexa's playground, not you, with uh, Eva Marienda. Uh, she's. <laughs> She's excited to, to get back in front of live crowds. I'm excited to see how live crowds receive her, if I'm perfectly honest, Michael Sidgwick. Uh, but she's also very giddy about the prospect of holding the money in the bank contract. Uh, even Marie interrupts, though, and goes, you do, you do realise we're here. You invited us on. She sat next to her on the swing set. And uh, Bliss says she's happy to see them. And just like me, she says she loves saying the name. Uh, uh, Doodrop likes her saying it, I suppose. But Marie, of course desperate for attention is annoyed that no one's talking or looking at her or whatever it is um but he says well i did only invite the rap to the uh to the playground not you she says well i'm the star of the show bollocks here i'm getting away this stinky smelly swing set or some bollocks uh and she said this would be the last time she'd be in the playground anything you want to say about this segment what's this what is it who am i meant to like what is it but honestly, when I was watching this, I honestly like I watched so much of this with my eyes glazed over, just numb to it. And the only thing I focused on was Jesus Christ, Eva Marie's hair is in such great condition. Oh, yeah. Like, what does she do with that? It's just world-class hair. It's her washing regime must be absolutely on point, but this was pointless. So let's continue. Well, I did promo delivery was dire. Like, she didn't have that many lines to memorise. Totally stilted. So it was terribly executed material of which I was completely bamboozled. And like you say, this is a pre-recorded show, so they could have just gone, should we do that again? But good. Yeah, let's do that one again. Rubbish. I know it informs something else that happened, but it's spooky bollocks, so who cares? (laughs) So, Jinder Mahal's in the ring, uh... Full red carpet treatment for him. Uh, he tells Drew to come out. He said he wanted to offer an olive branch. He wanted to give him back his sword. 
McIntyre pops up on the screen. He says, look, stop lying. Stop talking about the bollocks. Get to the, get to the point. Yeah, you and me both, Drew. Um, and Ross said, well, you, well, think about what we've been through together. Come on, you should, you should trust me. I got, I got Shanky and Veer to, to have your sword refinished. And he pulls the, the velvet cover off and goes, oh, no, it's been broken. Your sword been broken. Whoops. And Drew goes, yeah, well, I'm not going to bring the real sword or any vehicle or anything like that to Monday Night Raw because chances are it's going to get destroyed. Well, unless it's a Bugatti Veyron, then they'll just destroy the car right next to it, I suppose. Uh, but he had brought his real sword with him this time. Uh, before we get into this, Sage, I want to give a shout out because I saw this tweet from Steve Faso Faso. Who, who literally tipped us off to this last night. Yes, I did see this. I guess what we we know what Drew is doing tonight on Raw. I uh, just saw this under new items on the WWE shop. Reminds me of the time they released the toy of Braun, destroying the car before that aired. Yeah, there's a big Drew McIntyre uh, smash a red bike up toy, effectively. And what did he do? Yeah, he walked over to, to Jinder Mahal's motorbike and said, oh, this is definitely not a replica. This is the real thing. Oh, but it's got, oh, he's got a bit of problem with this. And then he just starts ripping bits off the bike and knocks it over. And uh, he says, don't worry, you can fix this with a good old bit of elbow grease. I mean, it's it's a spot to sell a toy, isn't it, basically? Yes, and it's therefore just why I'm analysing product placement in a children's TV show. I'm 35 years old. You know what I mean? I'm 36 in September. I just, again, I'm thinking, what am I doing with my life when I'm watching this? But let's analyse the product placement in a children's TV show, shall we? What a ridiculous, ridiculous moment here where Drew McIntyre, upon the reveal that his bloody sword's been broken, literally says to Jinder, come on, don't be an idiot. I'm not an idiot. I would never take the actual heirloom to the show. You know, this one, I'm <laughs> yeah. helpfully illustrating to you. I wouldn't, you'd never take your real one to the show. You're taking it to the show, you stupid twat. <laughs> this company with its, this is not even like the terrible booking or whatever. It's terrible writing within the own dialogue. Mm. Don't take your real stuff to the show. You know this one? That's a helpful, helpful illustration. Don't take this to the show. The thing that I'm showing you on the show. Don't take that to the show. Honestly, I was fucking wanting to rip my own face off watching this. It's just a feeling, I guess. If you use the sword to smash the bike up, at least that would make some semblance of sense. Like, it, like puncture the tires with it or something like yeah. that. If you must... But no, no, no. The, sh- the, the sword that you don't bring because it's too valuable to the show, he brought it to the show, he showed you the sword at the show. Uh, and then, you know, ripping up a bike, vehicle stuff. <laughs> like, you could, well, it's low stakes drivel that contradicts itself within literally seconds of the dialogue. And we've already seen the match. Yep. And it wasn't particularly great, even though Drew tried his best. Just, was- Let's move on. Yeah, it was ridiculous. It was, I suppose it was a, a bold move. It could be anything. It could even be a boat. A little family guy were doing jokes <laughs> about this sort of thing like ages ago. Yes, it was a, a bold choice by the WWE writers, but not as bold as the bold taste of Bullseye Bob. No, okay, uh, we're not doing that right now. We are instead going to move on and talk about Riddle talking bollocks with Nikki Cross, Nikki almost a superhero, Ash. Um Riddle simply says, why don't you just fly up and grab the briefcase? 
I think that's actually quite a valid question. And she says, aha, no, it's because I'm not a real superhero. I'm almost a superhero. Do you get it yet, you thick bastards? She, I know she's got a cape on, but she's not actually a superhero. Uh, Riddle starts talking about wanting to fly and go into space and NASA, but he's actually just at a food court. Some bollocks, who cares? I'm not writing it down. I've got plenty more important things to do in my life, um, like practice my impressions. Um, anyway, so she, her music hits. She says, oh, time to fly. And Riddle goes, whoa, 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 what? I thought you said you couldn't fly. 420, baby. What do you think? Not much. Um, just more drivel. Uh, more drivel between two total dorks at least one of whom's trying to do it on purpose. Well, Nikki Ash was in action next in the Fatal 4-Way match, uh, also featuring Asuka, Naomi and Alexa Bliss. Uh, Asuka takes out Naomi and then Bliss gives her a DDT. In the midst of all this, um, Eva Marie and Dudrap have uh, walked down to the ring and uh, Bliss walks out and Dudrap's her best mate, I suppose. She congratulates her on the... Uh, Excellently, excellently executed DDT, but she uh, she bypasses the rap and uh, makes uh, makes a beeline for Eva Marie, who who backs off. They do the weird shout at her, terrify her spot from from last week, and then that that's it. That's it. She's crossed the line there. Dewdrop just beats Alexa Bliss up, hoys her over the barricade. But when they go to have a look at the uh, mangled body of, of Alexa. She's uh, she's disappeared, Michael Sidgwick. She might have just scurried away. No, I'm not sure either. To be honest, that's quite a good bit of... Uh, we'll get you on for more. Sorry, what did you say? She might have just scurried away. There was a long gap. Yeah. It's not like this... That's why you don't they love this new barricade thing after Ricochet and John Morrison got some incredibly elusive... GIF Twitter action. So they thought, right, okay, let's do some more barricades. Duh. <laughs> um, so it didn't look anywhere near as cool as Ricochet and John Morrison's thing from two weeks ago. And yeah, I know she wasn't like, essentially a bump, bump on concrete and you were meant to convey the idea that Alexa Bliss has supernatural powers of recovery this time because she was nowhere to be seen. She can recover from bumps and disappear. So it's like, well, other than there being a ringside mat, was it Anything that we don't see, the, the the bastard thing gets smashed through all of the time, <laughs> and there aren't mats on the other side. So how is this meant to be a supernatural feat to me? Wilbon, was this a five star match, or is it just so unbelievably competent in contrast to the rest of the women's division over this year that it was elevated as a result? Yeah, well, I will say this after this weird spot. It got really good. There was just loads of near falls. Naomi, Asuka, Nikki Cross, they're all brilliant wrestlers. So just let them... But, uh, one of them's brilliant. Well, yeah. They're all very, very good at a bare minimum wrestlers. Let the wrestlers wrestle and this is what happens. Loads of near falls. Uh, Naomi kicks Asuka. She hits Nikki with a uh, rack bomb. She hits Asuka with a back suplex. She does that leg drop across both of them to try and pin them both. They both kick out. Uh Nikki hits Naomi with a tornado DDT. Asuka breaks that up. Naomi and Asuka go for submissions, but they get broken up. Cross hits a, a flying crossbody on, on, on Asuka. Naomi breaks it up. Asuka knocks Naomi out of the ring with a running hip attack. And then Nikki and Asuka trade counters until Nikki rolls up Asuka. One, two, three. Nikki Ash has got some, and they love to mention this, m -m 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 momentum heading into Money in the Bank. Yeah. 
I mean, like at least this is halfway more of a convincing win than they've been given. But at the same time, I'm watching a grown woman not even believing that she can be a superhero do some stuff for some kids. I'm 35 years old. You know what? The match was way better than the usual standard. So I will absolutely give them credit for that. I'm not scared of Alexa Bliss screaming in people's faces. But I understand that it's meant to be a juxtaposition. Oh, she's tiny. Uh, but she's also got a scary... Ugh, what am I doing with my life? <laughs> hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Well, let's uh, let's move on uh, before we get to the the Viking Raiders, AJ and Big George matches. Uh, we had some promos from them. Viking Raiders said uh, they didn't appreciate uh, AJ Styles insulting their lifestyle choice. He said, look, Vikings have got good hygiene and you'll learn to respect them. And uh, Eric said he was going to use almost his inexperience in singles competition to find a crack in his armor. And they're going to win the tag team titles next week on Monday Night Raw. You should make a note of that tag team title match for Monday Night Raw. OK, got it. AJ Styles was in the ring, flanked by uh, Omos, of course. Um, Styles said, oh, sorry, I shouldn't have called you barbarians. I should have called you hairy barbarians, uneducated salmonella poison infested barbarians, more like. Uh, you should never have got up your wooden bloody boat. Uh, he said, they keep getting in my business. They cost me a spot in money in the bank. Uh, I'm going to break a, a, a Ivar's leg in the calf crusher and almost is going to destroy Eric. Uh, we're going to tear you apart and retain the tag titles at, at money in the bank. Oh, sorry. Change my notes here. Yes, there's now a tag team title match in money in the bank. Uh, anything you want to say about these promos? No, I mean, yeah, yeah. I don't feel anything for them, but I'm paid to say it. Um, like, ridiculous. In AJ Styles' mind, and he's funny at being dumb, and he's very uh, credible at being dumb, <laughs> but maybe if you've got a guy with that star wattage and that much talent, you probably shouldn't make him look this much of a tit and beat him this cleanly in that few amount of minutes. Just this ridiculous spiel 
which is basically saying that they're actual Vikings. Right? Shouldn't have gone on a wooden boat. Shouldn't have traveled through time. I went raw. <laughs> not actually Vikings, many. Or maybe they are. It's a children's TV show. They probably are. Um, yeah, do the rundown of the matches, and I'll tell you my thoughts in about 10 seconds. Yeah, both matches went under four minutes. Uh, Ivar beat AJ Styles. Uh, you know, good, good. Back and forth again from these two. Uh, eventually, Ivar slams Styles coming out of the corner uh, and pins him. But it goes 50-50. Of course, it does this Monday Night Raw almost. Yes, Eric did get some decent offense in. Did, you know, oh, he got, got almost wobbling a little bit. But uh, almost grabs him, shouts in his face, hits him with that giant tree slam and pins him. Who knows who's going to win the tag titles on uh, on Sunday off the back of this? 50-50, brother. Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. When you are uh, tweeting, uh, tweeting, when you are building something, right? When you're building a match ahead of a pay-per-view and you've got the go-home angle, you're doing one of two things, right? If the heel is a champion, you're going to beat down the baby face and then the baby face is going to come back and inspire belief that if you part with your money, your favourite team might just win the big one, right? Or if the babyface is champion, the heel beats the shit out of him or does something to him. And then it's like, this guy needs your support if he's going to win. Hmm. This did neither of those things. In fact, <laughs> it did both of those things with a net result of nothingness. This It's just so incompetent. It's, just, it's time, it's a sky. Aren't you getting paid a creative writer's salary? It's, if you've got the fundamental, like, tiny bit of knowledge about this promotion, like, you can just get money for now. And the worst thing is, it's not now, because I spend hours on this drivel somehow. Mm, inexplicably. Uh, lots of backstage stuff to tell you about now. Uh, Seamus is shouting at Postman Pierce and Sonia Deville. Uh, so he was sort of laughing at him at the one point. <laughs> He's not happy about having to defend his title after they'd recapped, obviously, Carrillo breaking his nose. He's got a, a black mask on like he's part Batman or something. Uh, but he said, uh, well, just as long as we're on the same page. And they said, oh, yeah, we are. And uh, he smirks as he walks off. He's got a bit of a plan. We'll get to that in a second, because in the interim, uh, Sarah Schreiber catches up with the New Day. Uh, Kingston's just so happy for his friend Xavier Woods getting a, a win over Bobby Lashley. She says, well, he's, Lashley's back in the building. He's going to be in, in with MVP in the in the VIP lounge. Um, and Kingston says, yeah, of course, Lashley's distracting himself with women and champagne. And Woods puts his mate over. He says, Kobe's going to beat him. He's going to become champion. And Kingston said, yeah, Lashley's focused on all the wrong things. When I was champion, I took on all challengers. And don't worry, I'm going to be champion. Those days will be back very, very soon. I'm going to beat Bobby Lashley in front of a live crowd and become a two-time world champion. Then back to Sheamus. He's jumped on Berto Carrillo ahead of their United States Championship match. <laughs> I thought you were going to do the accent there. He's uh, he's battering him all over the place. He uh, He's hoying him against, you know, travel cases or whatever it is and kicking his ass, basically. Uh, Sheamus walks off. Damien Priest is there in a wonderful shirt slash jacket, if I remember rightly, again. Um, don't just a little look is exchanged, uh, and after the commercials, they are there with uh, Postman Pierce and Sonia Deville checking if well, saying he basically can't compete tonight. 
we'll have to just do the match another time. But Alberto Carrillo insists he can, if he can stand, he can fight. Let's have the fight tonight. And he leaves with Damian Priest to uh, to fight for the United States Championship. Lots going on here, Sige. Uh Yeah. Kofi Kingston. If I didn't know any better, I would say he's going over at Money in the Bank. And I think that's either, you know, the reality or he's absolutely incredible at what he does. Mm. And I'm leaning on the side of, I think he's absolutely incredible at what he does. He is so believable. His promos are so likable and they're so fired up. And he's just, he feels like he's the most confident he's ever been. Truly. He is making me believe with his wonderful delivery, his disposition, everything that he's going to win this title on Sunday. He's in the form of his life. It's mm. Kofi Kingston. And I truly hope he gets an absolute monster of a reaction on Sunday befitting this graft he's putting in. He's elevated this literal worst wrestling show of all time <laughs> into something, at least when he's on it, borderline great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd strap him up if he's in this mood. I'm inclined to agree with you. You know, I I think he's for a for a oh yeah, just you know, say how happy you're about are about your mate winning and tell us on the pay-per-view on Sunday. I thought this was just great stuff. And yeah, just you know, yes, it did the sort of basic of like, in case you don't realize the story is Bobby Lashley's taking his eye off the ball and I haven't, and that's why I'm gonna beat him. But it's Kofi. I just, I love him. So yeah, it did, it did a cracking job here. Uh, and speaking of Sheamus, uh, he had that match with Umberto Carrillo immediately after this. It went 17 seconds because obviously Umberto Carrillo is in no fit state to compete. He collapses basically as the bell rings and stands up just in time to eat a brutal bro kick. One, two, three. Sheamus is going to go after Carrillo and batter him afterwards. But Damian Priest runs down to make the save. Damian Priest versus Sheamus is mouthwatering, isn't it? Uh, yeah, that's a pretty fairly decent prospect. Um, Sheamus is class. Damian Priest is very good. This feels like Damian Priest on the main roster so far has been involved in a reasonable, reasonable amount of fluff. Like this, particularly since they're teasing it like ahead of crowds, this feels like a true test of whether Damian Priest can do something with a proper emotional core surrounding it. Because if you can't feel sympathetic with Sheamus beating you down, then you're kind of hopeless. On the subject of which, if you are halfway invested in Humberto Carrillo, and you're not, mm. you shouldn't be on the back of this. There's a way to build up a sympathetic underdog character, and this just does not do it at all. You just look like a geek. He's a geek, and he's always been a geek in so far as the way he's presented. He's far more talented than what he's given, but who doesn't apply to that? Yeah, exactly. Um, Riddle is, uh, well, he catches up with Ricochet, who's on the way to his ring for his Falls Count Anyway match with John Morrison. Uh, they're both very excited for Money in the Bank this Sunday. Put it in your diaries. Uh, and then they went off on a tangent talking about their favourite Westerns. Ricochet was talking about Tombstone, but Riddle was talking about Toy Story 2 because of the whole, there's a snake in my boot line. Uh, he said it reminded him of one Randy Orton, but Orton wasn't a snake in his boot, more like a snake in his heart. And he, again, points to the sky. He's not dead. He's not dead, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, but he, he says he misses Randy. And then he talks about some other bollocks about winning the money in the bank and using it to, to surprise Randy and, and win the tag team titles together. And Ricochet says, I'm fairly certain you can't do that. A, because 
money in the banks for a world title, obviously, and uh, tag team titles don't really mean anything. Uh, and uh, also because Randy would have to be there, so it's not really that much of a surprise. Anyway, more classic banter. And then Miz and Morrison show up and squirt water and run over Riddle's foot. Stupid arsehole children talking utter nonsense, which I can't believe anyone would actually say. The most inelegant of segues to bring Randy Orton into the conversation. Two dork baby faces, two heels that completely betray what all of this is meant to be about. They're not intimidating. They're not cowardly. They're not particularly sort of like braggadocious. They're just arseholes. They're 11-year-old kids on this program. The irony of and they're, beyond, and they're being watched primarily by 55-year-old men. In fact, those reports have been around quite some time now about the median age of the viewer. Maybe they're 60 now. Mm. Just a bunch of nonsense watching children's TV. The irony, of course, being that that happened. And I went, well, that was a bag of wank. And then they had... A really enjoyable false count anywhere match. It's Ricochet versus John Morrison. And yes, I know we've had it for the last, what, two weeks? But it's Ricochet and John Morrison. So again, if you just leave them alone and let them crack on and give them everything to utilise, they put on matches like this. I mean, there was a worrying, terrifying bit early on when Morrison hit Ricochet with a neck breaker on the apron. That sucked. That was needlessly dangerous. Uh, Morrison, uh, as it's false count anywhere, uh, anything goes, obviously. Uh, so he tries to pin Ricochet at one point with his feet on Miz's wheelchair. Morrison goes for Starship Pain, but Ricochet gets up and hits a German suplex. <laughs> they fight into into the Thunderdome audience, I suppose. Ricochet high-fived uh, <laughs> Thunderdome screen. Uh, Morrison falls off the barricade, so Ricochet 450s him off the barricade. That was just a, I mean, they, they gave that all the, the right slow mo treatment, and it obviously deserved. And then Morrison's outside the ring, Ricochet's in the ring, and Ricochet hit a shooting star press off the top of the ring, ring post just to take us into a break. Spectacular. Um, Ricochet goes for a dive, but Miz rolls his wheelchair in front of Morrison. He's, you know, playing running interference for his mate. So Ricochet just Flip dies over Miz onto Morrison uh, for a two count. They go up onto the stage. They fought in, fight into the back. Uh, as soon as they're in gorilla, John Morrison takes control, kicks uh, Ricochet all over the place. He hits him with super kicks, with knee strikes, all that sort of thing. They fight back out onto the stage. Um, and uh, <laughs> Morrison goes down to the bottom of the ramp. So Ricochet rides Miz's wheelchair to hit a running clothesline. And... Looks like he's in control, but again, Miz runs interference. That allows Morrison to hit a corkscrew neck breaker for a two count. Riddle, say it's seen enough at this point, he comes down and turtles Miz is the only way of putting it. He, he tips his wheelchair over so he's like a turtle stuck on his back. Riddle takes the piss out of him. Uh, and that distraction allows Ricochet to hit a recoil on John Morrison, put him on a ladder that Morrison had set up earlier on that stretched between the apron to the announce tables and hit a huge splash through the ladder. One, two, three. They're going to be sore this morning and they're going to have to do it all over again on Sunday. But oh, this, is, this is unquestionably match of the night for me, Sige. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they were going to be sold last week because it was taped last week and they've done oh, yeah. back-to-back matches. And this is the second one. So, Jesus, hopefully they're recovered at this point. Um, this was strange in a way that I thought was better for some of the blown moments that otherwise break your immersion. I might be totally overanalyzing this. There's a After the spot you mentioned, there was a sort of a, a spot that struggled on the um, barricade as well. Mm. Um. And then deeper into the match, Ricochet, just with phenomenal agility and control of this body that's capable of doing so many amazing things, like jump from the turnbuckle to the post and then shooting star pressed mm-hmm. or moonsaulted onto yeah. John Morrison. I don't think the catch was great. And I don't think Ricochet thought the catch was great either because if you noticed when they both fell to the ground, Ricochet, angry, got Morrison's head and just shoved it out of the way, as if to say, catch is better next time. Yeah. I've, I will perform you in this match. Um, not that Morrison is like dangerous or like got totally outclassed, but I think Ricochet was like more on it than mm. John Morrison yeah. in this one, shall we say. And it kind of somehow transcended the rubbish comedy at the finish because it did feel like less of an athletic, convoluted athletic showcase and something approaching a fight. Um, I thought this was the best match of their three-match series, woeful comedy aside. And look, they're working their absolute arses off and taking huge risks to try and get something out of this horrendous, broadly horrendous show. So, yeah, I enjoyed this and I thought bit more feisty than their other two matches. Yeah, yeah. I just I thought it was just jaw-dropping the stuff these guys can do, uh, particularly obviously when they're working together. I did feel a little bit guilty when they basically were like, wow, what a win for Ricochet. Could he win Money in the Bank on Sunday? And I went, no. Uh, maybe no. Uh, Sarah Shriver's backstage with Natalia. She's got a match with Rhea Ripley tonight and apparently is now also part of Money in the Bank. What? Okay. Um but Natalia wants to become a, a triple champion. She 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 wants to beat Ripley tonight. That sets her on one step closer to being a tag team champion, a Raw champion, and a SmackDown champion as well. Uh, Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke are somewhere backstage laughing at them. Rose said, uh, hey, Natalia, you can't have a foolproof plan. It comes from a fool. Got him. Tamina shoves Dana Brooke. They, they, they both get held back. I hate this feud. But how is it still going on? I don't know. Just do the match. No one cares. I mean, actually, you know what? Don't do the match. Singing the Raptors of WCW. What with Dana Brooke, Mandy Rose, Tamina, and Natalia. I mean, they're not Gabo. Not a single one of these people are Gabo. Um, I was going to say, don't do the match. And then I realized, no, it's in front of the crowd. So. Maybe they'll be. I mean, then again, Tamina got over massive at WrestleMania, so maybe this will get over somehow. But it'll be a, surely a measure of how pitiful this women's tag team division is when they actually do this match in front of a crowd. Um, because it's going to suck and no one's going to like it. Also, if Tamina and Natalia are listening, if it looks like you're about to lose, make a tit of yourself. And then I'm fairly certain Mandy Rose and Dana Brooke just automatically go, ah, well, we've won generally. So uh, what's the point in actually winning the tag titles? Bye. Yeah, exactly. Uh, McIntyre, another history lesson, this time about Icarus and flying too close to the sun or somewhere. But he, 
his wings are made of meat. I, I don't know. I was sort of half asleep watching this going, did I just hear that? Anyway, and I'm not going to go back and watch it again. But he said, I don't remember him saying, not even the sun is going to stop me from <laughs> Mr. Money in the Bank. Okay, good luck, Drew. Gina's definitely well on Sunday. Just call him Mr. McIntyre. If he's going to be a teacher, call him Mr. McIntyre. Like, put him up in a suit. Like, what is this? They obviously think his ordinary character is precisely that. It wasn't really a rating smash. It cooled off significantly. Maybe they are deciding, oh, I need spicing up a bit. What's, like, really entertaining? What's something that's going to make Drew McIntyre appear larger than life and entertaining and must see? Oh, um, ancient history. Perfect. Yeah, that's it. That ancient history is going to get this guy over with the 18 to 49 demographic. Like, oh, you're joking. Like, uh, it's super brain incompetence. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm, I will hold my hands up and say that I'm really, really looking forward to Money in the Bank. A, because it's Money in the Bank, and that's my kryptonite when it comes to WWE, no matter how bad things are. I love Money in the Bank. Uh, obviously, because we've got uh, crowds returning, uh, not only for SmackDown this week, but for, for the show on Sunday. Uh, and also, it got, we've got some great matches, other than Rhea Ripley and Charlotte Flair. Oh, God. I mean, we'll, I'll talk about the promo and then we'll get to the match, if we can, of course. Um, Ripley is being interviewed by Sarah Schreiber and saying, why have you had a match with Natalia? You're so close to a title defence. And she says, oh, look at me. I'm not one to back down from a challenge. Plus, I already exposed Charlotte Flair for being a drama queen, and she is really going to need crutches after our match on Sunday. Like, if it's a heel bit, and she's doing the thing that heels do where they very much express something that's patently bollocks because mm. they're delusional and that's the heat. Like, fine. <laughs> that's customary heel behaviour. Then the baby face are later on in the night. Yeah, because that was followed by Rhea Ripley versus Natalia. Skip. I, I can't be asked. Love you sometimes. Yeah, um, Natalia kept going for a sharpshooter. She's crap at it, obviously. <laughs> uh, Ripley uh, pushes her into a turnbuckle and hits the riptide for the win. Post-match, though, Charlotte chop blocks Ripley and attacks her, puts her in the figure four, hangs herself outside the ring, really talks on that leg. And then Charlotte says... Uh, it's not about the uh, pieces in the game. It's about the player. And I learned from the dirtiest. And it's game over for Ripley at Money in the Bank. You just that sat there going, get to the five-star review, aren't you? That's skipped, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, fair point. Right. For all that, it's now time for this. It's short. It's crap. It's wrestling related. The five-star review review. Nailed it. <laughs> this week's five-star review is brought to you by Judd the Dud909, uh, who writes... Oh, before we do that, actually, if you want your name associated or you want to suggest something short, crap, and wrestling-related for the five-star review review, subscribe to What Called Dressing on iTunes and leave us a five-star review, just like Judd the Dud909, who writes, G'day, mates. A true... He's not from Australia. I've seen... See, I'm not... I'm not going to... I'm not giving the satisfaction 
of the uh, the full accent. We've got to save that for a little bit later on. Uh, G'day, mates. A truly great podcast with excellent hosting by Wilborn. Oh, thank you very much. And great analysis by Hamlet and my personal favourite, Sidgwick. Oh. For my five-star review review, could you do the segment where Triple H <laughs> taught Trish Stratus wrestling holds? Thanks a lot. No wrestling encyclopedia here, Sige, but we all remember this one vividly. Give us a quick backstory as to the uh, marital issues that Triple H and Steph were going through at the time. Uh, the quick backstory is that the McMahon-Helmsley regime has been thwarted to an extent by Commissioner McFoley, who in vengeance used to have continuity in this company once upon a time. In 2000 was pretty much... Storytelling-wise, the greatest year that it's ever done beyond 88, 89. So the idea that, I mean, bounced out of the company and forced to retire and being bludgeoned by Triple H repeatedly, Commissioner Foley decides to have some fun at the expense of um, Triple H and Stephanie McMahon. And it's really deliriously creative and, like, just and cruel. So what happens is that Commissioner Foley, in a bid to piss these people off, who did him dirty, he sets up a tag team match. And that tag team match involves Triple H and Stephanie McMahon in opposite corners. <laughs> Stephanie McMahon has to team with The Rock and Triple H has to team with Trish Stratus. So, uh, you're trying to get on a good side. They're having, they're having a, a, a few... Few, 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 few issues as a couple, let's say. But regardless, yes, Triple H is backstage. He is he's teaching Tristras about hammerlocks. And he says, uh, if you got your opponent's arm here, uh, you're going to take it up. Uh, no, you're going to take it and bring it up behind the back. Bend the elbow. See, you once you've got, once you got it here, and he's got her arm up behind the back, you can apply the pressure. And Trish goes, oh, like that. <laughs> I've got that wrong, by the way. It was the rock and liter. Ah, Okay. Versus Triple H and Trish Stratus. So he's 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 showcasing the, the hammerlock and uh, and slightly injures Trish. He says, "Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to." Look, if you apply the pressure there, you can control your opponent that way. That's a hammerlock, not a wristwatch. <laughs> hammerlock. Get it, mate. Get on with it. Okay, says, so uh, tr- "Try to put one on me," and she does, and she she. He's got a bit of a, he's got a strapping on his arm and she jerks his injured arm behind his back and uh, he sells it a little bit. Not, no, not much. It's Triple H, obviously. Impervious to pain. She says, uh, was, that, <laughs> was that good? He says, uh, in the least, like, sincere way ever, he says, oh, yeah, that was great. Uh, <laughs> he said, now that's a hold, all right? Now, for every hold, there's a counter. There's a way to get out of a hold. So if you have somebody in a hammerlock like this, there's a counter to that. And he, he's showcasing it again on, on Trish. He says, the easiest way the easiest way to get out of this is you're going to reach for a body part. Not that one. Reach for a body part. And you're going to try and take the person down like that. So what you're going to do on me is reach down between your legs and grab my leg. You're going to sweep my leg and that will make me drop to the ground. That's your escape. So Trish goes to do that. So... He's got her arm bent behind her back and she is bending over to reach between her legs to grab. It's a very compromising position, basically. And with immaculate timing, Stephanie 
walks back in saying, I just forgot my bag. Like, this is genuinely really good stuff to me. Yeah, it's well-crafted comedy, this. I just forgot my bag, and they freeze at Triple H's face. Now, we, we do a lot about, like, the, 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 oh, whoa, when someone kicks out of a finisher face. His face here is... It's just, it's absolutely spot on. He's clearly having quite an enjoyable time teaching Trish Stratus about hammerlocks, but not, not when, not when Steph walks in. She obviously flips out, and the noise. I'm not going to do this justice. The noise that Lawler makes of like, oh, <laughs> is, I mean, it's a good Lawler noise. Steph goes, what the hell's this? And she, there's some flowers on the table. She throws it at Triple H. She knocks a lamp over. She just throws everything that she get her hands on at him as he's trying to explain that she's got the wrong impression. It's, it's not that I'm... Hammerlocks, not wristwatches, hammerlocks. And Steph says, and she sort of panics here. She goes, take your flowers, take everything. <laughs> I can't believe you. She, she storms out. Triple H uh, always wants to take responsibility when it's his fault. Uh, says, this is your damn fault. And goes to hit a lamp, completely whips it. So then just twats another lamp and storms out. And on the clip we watch, Sige, it's like a, it's a recap segment. And it cuts to like a talking head of Trish Stratus who says, Triple H was <laughs> totally innocent, I think. And then she goes, but actually, now I think about it. And they recap it in the most like WWE way of it. She goes, Look at the smirk on his face. And they put in a boing sound effect. And she goes, huh, maybe not so innocent, huh? Amazing stuff, this. Amazingness. I've got a few comments to make on this and what followed because like, the actual storyboarding was phenomenal here because Mick Foley, in making Trish Stratus Triple H's tag team partner, very mischievously creates a wedge between the two married people who terrorized him earlier in the year. This seed of mistrust has been planted between Triple H and Stephanie, which informs the Stephanie Kurt and Triple H love triangle that would develop deeper. One thought on that, right? So Triple H in this moment is like, he thinks he's got a huge cat. He's, he's like, you know, it's pressing a tr like Trish Stratus. It's, like, it's, it's, it's enough cack to go around. So and I know I'm a hot guy with long hair and muscles, but you know, I'm Stephanie, you're the apple of my eye. I love you, et cetera, et cetera. In being positioned here as this goof who just stumbles arse backwards into near divorce, Triple H gets over. He gets over because his face is fantastic. He does what heels do and he shows ass. Fittingly, considering I would hear this uh, lyric for two of the worst years of my wrestling fandom, this is a line in the sand for the Triple H character. He goes from this seminal, iconic moment of physical comedy that's really well done, as we just said, and he realizes subsequently, I don't like it when I'm the heel, even though I'm playing a heel. Um, I'm going to nip this really fascinating and interesting love triangle bit in the bud. And the reason behind this is, yeah, no, no woman would pick um, another man over me. Mm -hmm. Not like square-jawed, handsome, really successful Kurt Angle. Nah, nah, she picked me. She picked me and my cat. So this is basically, legitimately, the last great thing that Triple H did because subsequent to this, he got 
far too wrapped up in this hubris of his character. It affected the program with Angle, which was brought to a premature end. He had some good stuff with Austin, and then he got injured. Basically, the line in the sand for his career. And this is a follow-up to this segment. What happens is that when they used to actually watch the footage back, and these people weren't entirely idiots, because Chris Kresge was very good at this, they realized, oh, we can just watch the footage. Was there really a misunderstanding? Yes, there was. It wasn't dry humping a doggy style. I was teaching her a hammerlock. So Stephanie goes, well, you know what? You can teach me a thing or two. In Triple H, he's like, man, like Steph is like, oh, but you prefer Trish over me? He's like, I don't know. I'll teach you, I'll teach you, I'll teach you. And he's like, um, and she goes, well, okay, well, teach me a hammerlock. And he's like, no, that's just going to make it awkward. And she's like, well, it's obviously a good move. This is like a week later. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a good move. Otherwise, he wouldn't have, uh, he wouldn't have taught Trish it. And he's like, yeah, right, okay, okay, yeah, you've got me there. I've got a point, right? So he's trying to teach Stephanie Hammerlock, which is one of the most rudimentary wrestling holes there is. And he goes, uh, sorry, I just have to adjust them. Um, you're a bit taller. And she's like, oh, I'm taller than her. Not like petite like Trish Stratus, am I? You're like petite, don't you? Maybe you're not stacked as he's like, right, okay, calm down, calm down. I'm just feeling awkward. You put me in an awkward spot here. So he tries the hammerlock again. And uh, he's bending her over. He goes, good work, Trish. I mean, Stephanie. I mean, Stephanie. And Trish <laughs> blows a gasket again. Uh, Stephanie blows a gasket again. Another misunderstanding happens. And Stephanie leaves the scene in a massive huff. What, Wilborn, quiz, bit of trivia for you. What does the woman who was just taught a hammerlock take with her from the dressing room to leave. I can't remember. The Women's Championship. Oh, yes! <laughs> the, woman, the Women's Champion, you don't know how to lock. I forgot that. I love you, Chris Kresge, but you did not book the women particularly well. But, you know, I don't think that was your fault entirely. Also around the time, presumably in, this, in the match that this was all leading to, where Triple H gets knocked out and worked probably 69, Trish. Is that... <laughs> what, you, what, what we do is uh, Hamalak, come back, shine, heat, and I'll uh, face first in the moth. <laughs> That's basically exactly what happened, yeah. Uh, oh, God. We'll bring, it, we'll bring him up, uh, then we'll take him down with the heat, uh, bring him up for the shine. Uh, the comeback, you know, uh, face first in a moth. <laughs> right, let's go to the comment section. I really have to remember to reiterate this today. These do not reflect the views of myself, the Dadly Boys, or anyone <laughs> at What Culture Wrestling. Well born, I'm going to do it <sighs> in an accent to sort of undercut the problematic nature of it all. Uh, I always worry me when you have to go extra careful on the caveat here. These are YouTube comments, just to clarify. Yeah, and if we find them funny, it's because it's our coping mechanism against like really odd people. People like uh, Xavier Edwards, who writes, uh, "Hey, if people say Triple H doesn't help young and up and coming talent." Oh! <laughs> I mean, he didn't write it like that, but I just I felt like I <laughs> Vindal Extreme Two Point uh, writes. I can't believe you, in quotes, quoting Steph Newman. Why? Both of you did China dirty that same way. Oh! Get him. Jesse, three weeks ago, he went, 
no, it's time, time to share this point of view of the world. I'm going to put, I'm going to put the word eight in here because it softens the blow. Eight. He could have asked for a three-way. <laughs> I love this. Mr. Threesome Hover himself. That's what you do. That's what you do. That's how you smooth <laughs> the tensions over. Hey, what if you bullshit my cack? <laughs> uh, I think this is uh, Jesus. This is written in all caps. Christ is returning. Repent of sin and change your way of living. So thanks to Jesus for that comment. Uh, I mean, he's going to be busy on the internet if he's storming like message boards and the like to try and get people to not watch this kind of stuff. Like he's going to be a busy boy. And I'm going to read these two comments just because I want you to know that they are, when I looked at them, they were relatively close together in the comment sections and you couldn't get a more uh, differing perspective on this. Bridget Bonds writes a year ago, Stephanie is a beautiful woman who deserves a better man after she was heartbroken by her husband. But Matthew Moore, literally a day ago, Michael Sidgwick writes, uh, I'm going to do the voice again because I got to happen the blow here. So Bridget, Stephanie says, Stephanie's a beautiful woman who deserves a better man after she was heartbroken by her husband. Matthew Moore writes, uh, hey, apart from the chesties, I really don't see what Triple H sees in Stephanie. <laughs> Chesties. I've never heard that one. No <laughs> world one man. Breakers on this. I've got a veneer to try and maintain. So thanks to uh, Judd the Dud. Judd the Dud nine oh nine. Judd the Dud. Uh, for that, if you want to suggest, please, more of these sorts of things. These are bloody amazing. Uh, especially hey, comment hey, sections, quite clearly. Hey, Stephanie McMahon is a very, very, very philanthropic woman. Indeed. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to do uh, do that and suggest something short craft and wrestling related? Subscribe to What Culture Wrestling on iTunes and leave us a five-star review. And we return for the main event of Raw. We got there so quickly, Michael Sidgwick. Not quick enough, like, but uh, I should just do the 45-second gimmick. Yeah. It is, it's MVP's uh, VIP lounge. He's there with Lashley's ladies. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lashley's chapters. <laughs> he says, it's the final episode of the Thunderdome where we all have witnessed the rise of the almighty. It should be called the Lashley Dome. And he's honoured to introduce us to the WWE champion, Bobby Lashley. Nothing happens. And he gives this a few goes and, and finally gets the, the, the ladies to help with the entrance and Finally, Lashley's music hits and he comes out, but he's looking a bit disheveled. He's not, you know, he's he's in the remains of a suit, basically. He's got, like, his shirt there and his, his waistcoat's open, but his tie's not tied. And uh, Lashley basically comes in and goes, ladies, can you uh, can you give us a minute? Can you excuse us? And the ladies leave. And uh, Lashley, like, considering how people used to lay into him, cuts... Very good promo. Says, look, I've been thinking about what Kofi Kingston said. I thought what he initially said was just trash talk. But actually, you're right, Kofi. MVP has kind of made me soft. I lost to Xavier Woods, of all people. I should have stacked up Woods and Kingston in a pile of bones. But I appreciate everything you've done for me, MVP. But the bullshit has to stop 
now. He destroys the VIP lounge. He hoys furniture left and right. Ridiculous. Just like, oh, just, well, it's, it's a sofa. Hoys that out of the ring. Table goes. All these bits and bobs are flying all over the Thunderdome. And Lashley gets on the mic and stares down the hard cam and says, Kofi Kingston, I'm going to tear you in half. I'm going to enter and leave money in the bank as WWE champion. I want you to bring your family, your friends, all of your fans to have your back at money in the bank because I'm going to dismantle them. Kofi, he says, I hope you're ready to fight, not just for the WWE championship, but for your life. I'm going to cave your skull in, wring your neck, fold you in a box and send it to the circus with the rest of the little clowns. The circus is dead. And after this Sunday, so is your career. I mean, a great promo. I question the wisdom of, for like the second imminent pay-per-view being presented in front of fans. They did this before Mania as well, and now they're doing it before Money in the Bank. Like giving Lashley something of, is it a babyface characteristic for him to recognize a flaw in himself and like be driven to be better? You know what I mean? Like yeah. the first he gets rid of the hurt business and essentially says, I'm sick of his interfering. And, you know, I don't, and then he subsequently paid off the geeks who did a worse job. That was drivel, but you still got an inkling of Bobby Lashley was like, no, no I want this to be fair. Mm-hmm. That was weird and rubbish and retconned, I guess. And again, here he's lost. He's realized a flaw. I get what they're trying to do here. They are trying to present Lashley at his most formidable, totally focused on kicking someone's ass. He's getting rid of the distractions. He's illustrating that he's getting rid of the distractions with this like show of power and fury in the main event. But I don't know, just like, should a heel be recognizing these things? Mm. Is it just the weird way WWE tells stories away from how pro wrestling should primarily function? I don't know, but we've got an excellent promo out of it. And in their warped, probably shouldn't do that too often, but in this case, mostly it's good, so I don't care. Way, yes, there's doubt cast over the outcome on Sunday. Mm. Not the way around I would do it, but by WWE standards, I guess this was strong. But yeah, um, one thing, no one talks about Raw, but one thing I noticed is that people didn't, like, hate this like they did getting rid of the Hurt Business because they thought the unit and with MVP as his mouthpiece, like, really potentially undermined what Lashley could be. Um, no one seems to be bothered about Raw in general, but no one was specifically bothered that he seemed to bin off MVP here, maybe, with the idea of, oh, well, he's his mouthpiece because Lashley cut one hell of a promo. Mm. So maybe that's a measure of how great this promo was, that people weren't anxious that he is potentially on the outs with his mouthpiece. Maybe he doesn't need him. This was a high-grade promo from Lashley. Yeah, like we said at the beginning, uh, this was an iffy Raw, to say the least. But I left it thinking... Wow, we had a, you know a, a huge upset win for for Xavier Woods, which like you say, sows potential uh, you know uh, surprises at the pay per view. We had an, an insane false count anywhere match, and then we ended the show, you know, despite all the bollocks that have preceded it, with a great see you on Sunday for the pay per view, you know, go home promo. So yeah, credit where it's due. I, I'm absolutely buzzing. And I will be doing the live stream for, for What Culture on Sunday. 
Very giddy already to see how this all goes down, not just obviously with the Money in the Bank matches, but with the WWE Championship and, of course, the Universal Championship matches. But let us know your thoughts on Monday Night Raw as we look ahead to Money in the Bank on Twitter at WhatCultureWWE. Watch, they can follow both of us. You can follow Michael Sidgwick and compliment on his chesties at... <laughs> at M. Sidgwick. Follow me at Adam Wilborn. Follow us all at What Culture WWE and make sure you subscribe to What Culture Wrestling wherever you get your podcasts from for daily wrestling podcasts. Uh, we'll have the NXT preview coming your way this afternoon. Uh, and whilst you're there, subscribing to What Culture Wrestling iTunes, leave us a five star review and suggest something short, crap, and wrestling related for us to review instead of a god awful Monday Night Raw segment. But this has been the Raw Review. My thanks to Michael Sidgwick. Thank you for joining us. Thanks to Judd the Dud 909 for this week's five-star review review segment. And we will see you soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.